Good Wednesday morning. Welcome into the Bruce Hooley Show. I'm your host, Jack Windsor, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, and I am filling in today for Bruce. Quick programming announcement uh, on the national scene. Tonight, the third GOP presidential debate will be live on 98.9 FM, The Answer. Commentary begins at 7, the live debate at 8, and post-event coverage until midnight. Uh, Salem Media Group is proud to be a media partner of the third GOP presidential debate on Wednesday, November 8th in Miami. Our broadcast coverage of the debate begins at 7 p.m., and the candidates take the stage at 8 p.m. Salem's own Hugh Hewitt will be moderating along with NBC's Lester Holt and Kristen Welker. Mike Gallagher will have the pre-debate coverage at 7 p.m. and the post-debate reaction after 10 p.m. And Ron DeSantis, Ohio's own Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and Senator Tim Scott will be on the stage tonight. And I expect that we'll hear a lot about foreign policy, Israel, Ukraine, and more. So don't miss the coverage tonight. Let's start with some good news. First, Bruce Hooley won his race for Jonathan Alder School Board last night, and he will be one of three members installed there. Bruce hopefully will be joining us. Uh, we're going to plan on 1150 to tell us about the victory, what he has planned, and more. Now, in other good news, the sun rose today. It did. That's a fact. And that means that we have another day to live and excel and fight for those who don't now have a choice to live despite their viability. Some more good news. Uh, Southwestern, and by the way, not having a right after viability isn't good news, but the good news is we're still awake, we're still alive, and we can still fight. Uh, Southwestern school board candidates Denise D'Angelo and Julie Liskany both won their races and seats at the board last night. Now, you'll remember they joined us last week to talk about their visions for that district. Zach Duffy, he won an open seat on the big Walnut School Board. Zach was with us on this show a couple of times in the run-up to the election. Now, Brandon Hogue, the other guy running on fiscal responsibility, education excellence, and supports for trades, he was edged out. But in Buckeye Valley, Troy Jeffrey was victorious, and he will be on the board there. He's joined us on the show. And in Delaware City Schools, Janelle Gassaway, a total rock star who will fight for educational excellence and supports for kids, was actually the top vote getter in that race and now joins the Board of Education. But on to the more challenging news. Ohio issue two passed yesterday. That will legalize the recreational use of marijuana for adults in Ohio, although I would submit that it appears they're already high because they passed issue one. Uh, But I digress. The issue two effort is a citizen-initiated statute, or at least that's what it's called. It appears to be an industry-initiated statute that the General Assembly may have an interest in amending or changing dickering with. But as it sits now, the measure allows for the use of marijuana by adults 21 and older. The distribution and sale of marijuana will be monitored by the Cannabis Control Board, which is a new group in Ohio. 
Ohio will collect a 10% tax on the sale of marijuana, but 36% of that revenue will be returned to the industry for industry expansion. Now on to the most challenging news. $3.86 million voters turned out in a non-presidential election yesterday. 56% of them voted for issue one and 44% voted against issue one. There are so many storylines here. It's hard to know where to begin, but I'm going to try. And by the way, the phone lines are open. If you want to give a call and you have a thought on issue one, 844-TALK-989. That's 844-TALK-989. The first storyline that came to my mind is how many of the 2.1 million yes voters actually read the amendment? I talked to someone this morning and he said, I talked to a lot of people in my neighborhood who were voting for it. And I said, have you read the amendment? And they said, no, no, no. But, you know, I read here that it, it does this. How many of them truly understand what is in it? Now, I produced a video on the way into the studio today and I confronted the yay, yay, reproductive rights one crowd. And, and maybe it does some good to hit it again here. And, and maybe I will do that later. Uh, more in depth. But what I know beyond a shadow of doubt is that the mainstream press did a shoddy job. We talked about the Associated Press strategically timing the release of a piece that talked about misinformation on issue one the day early in-person voting started here in the Buckeye State. I mean, we tore that to smithereens. And, uh, and by the way, and then they released another hit piece last week uh, on the Ohio Senate because they were claiming that the Senate was releasing misinformation on issue one. And, you know, the, the Ohio Senate, as we've talked about on this show, they're now bypassing mainstream media as they should. And they are releasing directly to voters stories op-eds, podcasts that mainstream outlets either don't want to publish or will spin. NBC got in on the game last week. We talked about it live on the radio with Bernie Marino. They wrote a hit piece on him because he said, look, this new abortion amendment would make it easier for rapists and abusers to get away scot-free. And of course, they half-truthed what was in the amendment and it tried to really embarrass Bernie Marino, but the press did a shoddy, shoddy job. And, um, you know, they gave audience to the half truth that this amendment would enshrine abortion, but they gave audience and credence to blatant lies. And I mean, they're blatant lies. Let me look at some of them here. Um, that late-term abortions aren't a thing, that coerced abortions don't happen. Three out of five abortions, women are pressured. Hey, uh, Jeff just signaled, Lloyd in Columbus is on the line and wants to talk about issue one. Lloyd, we've got about two minutes here. Uh, Welcome to the Bruce Woolley Show. Uh, What's on your mind, man? Hey, how are you doing? 
I, I'm well, you know, all things considered, I'm I'm well. What's going on? Yeah, I understand. Hey, um, I wanted to talk about just some of the wording in issue one. It was kind of troubling to me, and maybe maybe I'm reading too deeply into it. I, I voted no, but you know, when I was reading where we were speaking about abortion, I think abortion is just one portion of what's being pushed here because um, it, it said, and forgive me, I'm driving, I don't have the exact wording, but it was saying that, you know, minors, um, you know, have the capability to, you know, to, to handle issues like abortion and other issues without their parents' consent, you know, or knowledge. And that, that was troubling to me because what are these other issues? As if abortion wasn't bad enough. What else is it that's being insinuated here that, you know, minor children will be able to do without their parents' permission or knowledge. You know, I, I mean, it seems troubling to me. Uh, Lloyd, thank you. Thank you for the call. Uh, and it's troubling to me, too. And this goes right to the heart of what I'm talking about. Very few members of the press talked about the language. And when they did talk about it, they talked about it painting in, in broad strokes. Like, well, it doesn't say that it robs parents of their rights. It doesn't say that minors can get abortions. It doesn't say that you can get abortion up to birth. Well, someone really astute said, well, show me in the United States Constitution where it talks about abortion. It doesn't. But for five decades, we were under Roe v. Wade. But directly to Lloyd's point, the amendment reads, every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception. Fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. Two things are troubling in that. Number one, every individual is a phrase that is not defined in the amendment. If a court says an individual is a minor and a court says that puberty blockers or hormones or uh, transition surgery has something to do with reproductive decisions, we are now in a spot where minors can have abortions, can transition without parental rights because that individual as a minor has a right. Lloyd, thanks for the call. Stay tuned to The Bruce Hooley Show. Uh, Mike Gibbons up next. Salem Media Group is proud to be a media partner of the third GOP presidential debate Wednesday, November 8th in Miami. That's tonight. Our broadcast coverage of the debate begins at 7 p.m. The candidates take the stage at 8 p.m. Salem's own Hugh Hewitt will be moderating along with NBC's Lester Holt and Kristen Welker. Mike Gallagher will have the pre-debate coverage at 7 p.m. and the post-debate reaction at 10 p.m. So you don't want to miss it. 98.9 98.9 FM, The Answer, live tonight, 7 to 10. Uh, welcome back to the Bruce Hooley Show, 98.9 FM. I'm Jack Windsor, filling in for Bruce Hooley. And uh, I want to welcome to the line, uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of an introduction here because he deserves one. He's a he's the chairman and senior managing director of Brown, Gibbons, Lang & Company, uh, one of the premier uh, investment banking firms in the country. He's a two-time GOP candidate for U.S. Senate, and in 2022, 
in a lot of polls was actually leading that race prior to Donald Trump endorsing J.D. Vance, who eventually won the nomination and a seat in the U.S. Senate. And uh, he's an attorney. Well, he's he has a law degree. He's an economist and he's a, a poignant student on politics. He is Mike Gibbons. Uh, Mr. Gibbons, welcome to the Bruce Woolley Show. How are you this morning, sir? Great, Jack. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. Um, you know, we've got some time carved out. We've got until about 1130 and we've even got the next segment open, depending on how much you want to talk about here. I can't think of anyone better to be a sounding board and to bring some, I don't know, juxtaposition to what we're reading in the mainstream stream press about this $250 million civil fraud trial that Donald Trump is knee deep in right now. Let's start there. Um, what are your, I guess, opening thoughts when, when you're looking at the newspapers, you read a lot and, and you're seeing what's going on with Donald Trump. What's your visceral response to this? Well, it, it, you know, he calls it a witch hunt. He's, he's not wrong. Um, I mean, this, first of all, the law that they're using is, um, you know, it's kind of unbelievable. It's, there's a lot of aspects to it that, uh, that you wouldn't describe as fair. Um, and, and effectively what the state of New York is saying is that the banks don't know what they're doing. Um, they were duped by Donald Trump and because they're not smart enough to figure it out, um, we're going to take over. And even though nobody lost any money, uh, we're going to take away Donald Trump's properties because we just don't like the way he does business. So the banks were duped, Um, but did they report any losses (laughs) that you're aware of? (laughs) Not that I'm aware of. Uh, in, in fact, he, Donald Trump has repeatedly said, and the banks, I believe, have confirmed it, and I think you'll end up with uh, the banks testifying on his behalf here uh, on damages, because trying to come up with the damages is even more ridiculous than uh, uh, than, the, than the case itself. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like Donald Trump. A lot of people uh, don't... Uh, um, you know, think that he's an honest individual. Uh, the reality is if somebody's doing business in, in lending large amounts of money to, to an individual, they're going to have to be satisfied. They're not going to do it. That's right. So the bank, the bank by doing it felt they benefited from their relationship with Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and, and they did, they, they made whatever uh, the profits were on, on those uh, on those loans to him, and they were significant. Uh, this is a very unusual law, uh, in that you know, and the best I can tell, you don't really have to prove damages. Uh, it kind of gives the state of New York an ability to come in and, uh, if they feel that that you know, the the legal. And I'm, I'm I'm not a lawyer. I'm, yes, I have a law degree, but I'm not going to offer uh, any kind of legal opinions here. But uh, they, they they believe that he intentionally did this. He intentionally provided them with faulty net worth statements, and and uh, I don't believe they've made a, a claim that he may provided faulty uh, liquidity statements. But you know, having gone through this process almost on a daily basis for the last ten years, trying to borrow money um, for various acquisitions of real estate, and you know, we have a division within our company uh, that just does this and represents lenders like Don- or borrowers like Donald Trump and provides them with uh, you know the, the, the best possible solution to their needs. 
Um, and we also act as principals in the acquisition of, uh, of large parcels of, not necessarily parcels, but large pieces of real estate, uh, generally uh, multifamily units or whatnot. So we go through this process all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and the basis to their case seems to be that he uh, didn't want to go through the normal real estate channels because he could get a better deal out of the private wealth part of Deutsche Bank. And, uh, and, and basically they go through in great detail all the, the ins and outs of, uh, of, of how Donald Trump duped the bank into lending uh, Donald Trump the money. So uh, we're uh, talking uh, real quick, Mike. I just want to remind the listeners yeah. we're talking with Mike Gibbons, and he is uh, he is uh, chairman and senior managing director at Brown Gibbons Lang and Company, former CEO of Underwood Newhouse. Uh, I believe the the youngest senior vice president in the history of McDonald Investments. So, and that goes back to like 1975. Uh, you have a storied past in buying and selling companies, understanding real estate transactions. Um, so you're not coming at this from like, hey, you know, I read a book on how banks decide <laughs> on lending money. I mean, you, you've you got decades of experience here. So I want to remind folks that. And you just hit on something. We've got about a minute and a half but uh, on this segment. But you just said, look, there's a law in New York that really is very unusual, and they don't necessarily have to prove damages. They can kind of come after you. So that's one thing. Um, so I'm going to pause there. You've got about a minute. Uh, what do you want to convey here before we get into the next next segment on the other side of the commercial break? Well, uh, what I can tell you is banks aren't stupid. And you know, Deutsche Bank isn't stupid. And they made a decision independent of whatever Donald Trump gave them. And they had an obligation to investigate what Donald Trump told them. Uh, because they're not going to risk the, you know, the, the bank's net worth by making crazy loans. And what we have is the state of New York saying they know better. It's and interesting. Deutsche Bank, you, you kind of, kind of fell down here because you didn't do the, your job. And because of that, Donald Trump benefited and God only knows we don't want that to happen. So the state of New York uh, knows better than Deutsche Bank. <laughs> uh, and, yep. and they're going to go to back. They're very for- business. They know better than Deutsche Bank in the business that they operate in. It's insane. It's an insane world. Hey, Mike Gibbons uh, is going to join us on the other side of this break. We're going to talk more about this 200 and what is it? $250 million. Did I get that right? $250 million civil fraud trial. It's crazy. (laughs) Mike Gibbons uh, next uh, on uh, the Bruce Willis Show. Stay tuned to 98.9 FM.